This is iFanboy number 628 brought to you by Harry's. Go to harrys.com slash iFanboy for your trial shave set. And iFanboy listeners like you. iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 628. I am Josh Flanagan. That's right. That sound you hear is everybody else. There's nobody. It's just me. I'm doing a solo show again. I know. I I don't know if it's a good idea either. But you're listening, and I'm already talking. So let's let's see what happens. iFanboy is our podcast slash website entity uh, where uh, we, normally others also, read a stack of comics, uh, pick the favorite book, Call that the pick of the week. We'll talk about that book, other books from the week. We're going to talk about a patron pick. All will be explained, uh, and we'll read some listener mail and do what we can and see what's going on, right? Okay, cool. The idea is it's fun. We are going to talk. I said we. That's not correct. I'm going to make – there's going to be mistakes. There will be mistakes. There's a spoiler warning. We're going to talk about – I said it again. What happens <laughs> – they're not viewers. Uh, we're going to talk about what happens in the books. So if you haven't read the books, listening to this is your own fault. And you should know better. And I don't want, I, frankly, I don't want to hear your sass. Uh, there it is. This week, I have the pick. I mean, it's not really a lot of other options, are there? Pick of the week this week goes to Analog number one. This is a new series from Image Comics, uh, written by Jerry Duggan with art by David O'Sullivan, colors by Jordi Belair. And it's just her consistency that's a problem. She doesn't do a lot of work. And when she does, it is all over the map. That's sarcasm, and normally sarcasm is denoted by my co-host, who would laugh at that, which would tell the people at home, oh, he's, he's making a joke. Jordi Belair does a lot of work, and it's always very good, uh, to the point that it's it's hard to even talk about anymore. Letters by Joe Sabino. He's all right, too. So, what we have here is a sort of, uh, basically like a near-future, I guess, spy story? He's not really a spy, but there's some sort of black ops thing going on. About this guy, he is in St. Louis uh, trying to deliver a case. Some uh, some toughs, some armed toughs. Uh, everybody here who's supposed to be tough has a trench coat. That's how you can tell they're tough. And a couple of them have uh, have those uh, the hats, like hoods, not the hood that you put on your head, like a hood, like a like a mob felon kind of thing. Uh, anyway, he's in St. Louis. He doesn't want to die in St. Louis. Doesn't like St. Louis. Got a problem with St. Louis. Listen, I'm agnostic on St. Louis. I don't want to move there. If you live there, I'm, sh- I'm sure there are many wonderful things. Um, you have a specific style of barbecue, I believe. Anyway, uh, as delivering this case, he asks the armed thugs, do you have the password? And they're like, they don't have the password. Then a gunfight ensues, and and the main dude says, uh, uh, I've got a sniper up there, and if you do the wrong thing, they're going to kill you, and, and you're not sure, and they're not sure if he's bluffing or not, but he's not, and then all the people get killed, so he... He finishes the job, and he's a tough guy. Like, it's like a private eye, you know, tough guy kind of thing. Then we find out that the backstory is that we are in the year 2025, uh, and the internet uh, gave up all of its secrets in 2020. And this main character dude is part of uh, why that happened. He used to be a tech worker in Silicon Valley. 
Uh, and now everybody knows everything that anybody's ever looked for, done, searched for, sent. Everybody's stuff has been hacked and leaked. And all of your secrets, for those of you who put them on the internet, are out there. People's lives are ruined. Um, and it's weird because at first you don't know that this is taking place in the future. This could be sort of any time. This could be, you know, a Darwin cookbook from the 60s. Um, or this could be... That's kind of what it feels like at first anyway. Um or now, uh, but it's sort of the near future, but right as you get back into the world, you see there's sort of self-driving cars, and there's drones flying over the place, and um, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Basically, uh, there is a hook. There, It's not just a straight-up spy adventure or whatever story. Um, there's a there's a social element, um, meaning we're, you know, we're, just, we're examining society, we're checking when things happen, and and I like that, but it's, it's not supernatural. Nobody's a demon. Nobody's like that, um, you know, and it... it it's it's trying to tell a kind of thing that I I think I wasn't expecting. Part of it is because I knew about this as a thing. It came out faster than I thought. Put it in my inbox, and, and as I was reading it, I really started to get into it. He goes to visit his father in Queens, and there's a weird relationship there. Um, and it's all sort of very fun and entertaining. Jerry Duggan's a super entertaining writer. He does great dialogue. He's been handling, you know, Deadpool for forever. Um, and I really dug it, and, and I dug it by Duggan. It was... I guess it was just different than the other stuff that I was reading this week. And it was, I read, I read a lot of pretty good books, um, but nothing that really stood out. I was like, well, this could be a pick of the week for this. And this could be a pick of the week for that. But none of them are really like a thing that I feel like you definitely have to go check out. And that was, you know, the best thing that happened. And this was, uh, this is my best choice of it. So uh, I, I want people to check it out. I liked uh, the David O'Sullivan art a lot. I don't know who that is, um, but he's got a, a nice sort of, uh, sort of blocky cartoony quality that I like. Um, I think he did the, he, he really treaded that line between doing something that's sort of gritty and familiar, but also doing this sort of near future that's just a little bit different that we notice. Um, and, and, and I really like some of the social commentary in it, I think was a little on the nose, but some of it is still a conversation I think that we're very interested in having, uh, and, and, and we should be having, and it's, it's, you know, about how much tech and, and, and the, I was going to say the internet, but social media and, and our, just how much of ourselves we put in the cloud and, and whether that's good or not. And we never really stop to ask that. And then what that would mean uh, when and if everything uh, blows up uh, as it's going to. Um, so I liked this first issue. It went by very fast at the end. I was like, oh, I would like more of this. Um, so I guess I'll have to read it next week. And I think that you should read it next week, too. Um, I would like to know Connor's thoughts on it just as much as you would, but he's not here right now because, well, I can't say it's like a spy thing. It's not true. So here's what I'm going to do different this week than most weeks. If, uh, if you've been paying attention, uh, I'm going to read, I'm going to talk about every single book that I read, uh, in some way. It may not be a lot. It may be interesting. It may be uninteresting, but I'm going to make a comment uh, to one degree or another, on every single thing that I read this week. No bell. We'll see how this goes. All right, so first up, we've got Black Bolt number 12. Now, I know that historically, uh, in the past, I've had a problem telling you that a series is ending, but it says, and then the next, there would be then an issue 13, and they'd be like, you guys are wrong, because we're frequently wrong. This has been uh, 12 issues. It says at the end, this is the last one, which sucks, but also, that's fine. 12 issues is a good run, and, and it didn't get a chance to get bad. Uh, Black Bolt number 12 uh, by Saladin Ahmed and Christian Ward. Basically, uh, Black Bolt 
was put in the space prison, met some other people, really good absorbing man story. Uh, there's this character named Blinky who's like a, seems like a kid, but it kind of isn't a kid, but has massive uh, psychic power. Uh, absorbing man dies. Uh, Black Bolt comes back, uh, hangs out with his girlfriend. Is it Titania? I don't know. Now when I, when I used to ask those questions, somebody would answer it, but now I can't. Uh, she's a strong bad guy lady. Um, and, and everybody's sort of like the bad guys in this aren't quite as bad guys, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, and this is the end of it. Uh, basically the j uh, prison jailer person, uh, demon powerful thing, uh, takes over Blinky and, and there's way too much power in there and it's super dangerous. Absorbing man comes back from the dead, uh, which is nice. Because he's got an absorbing quality, I guess, that makes that possible. But also we deal with, like, a ton of stuff because uh, Black Bolt's son, Ahura, shows up. And there's really some sort of – that's been a, a rough uh, relationship for a very long time uh, in the comics. And it actually feels like they make some some progress here, um, sort of in, in, in moving along, progressing his characters and things like that, which I think is nice since so much sort of stays uh, where it is. Uh, and then we see some – uh, flashbacks to Black Bolt's youth where his dad was, uh, you know, they had to put him in like a room and, and so that he wouldn't destroy uh, the whole world with his voice. Um, and we see that he was not the best dad. And it was all pretty interesting. Uh, Saladin Ahmed's uh, writing has been super strong on this. Uh, we talked about the fact that he's not um, a comic book writer uh, originally, but boy, he, he really, he picked it up really strongly. Um, Christian Ward... A really different and interesting uh, comic book writer it, or artist. It works really well for this. Um, it looks like he's going to be on Thor with Jason Aaron um, on Thor number one. That'll be the next thing he does in June, which is it's quite a step up, I think. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know if it's right for Thor. I can kind of see it. Uh, it's got a very, very digital sort of coloring style to it, which I don't love, but I think overall it's a really nice aesthetic that works for me. Um, it's, it's a great book. I would like to see the Inhumans, Black Bolt, Medusa continue in this framework. Uh, meaning the, sort of the way that the characters were portrayed and the way that their relationships are. This is what I always liked about the Inhumans um, as opposed to a lot of the different stuff that's been going on. Not that that stuff was bad stories, but I just prefer this, this sort of characterization of Black Bolt and the Inhumans family um, that was in this. This is a really great 12 issues. And I guess Salad Ahmed's going to come back and do something else at some point. And uh, when he does, you should check it out. Apparently there will be more more uh, of of him somewhere. Oh no, wait. Salad is doing uh, Exiles number one uh, by Javi, uh, drawn by Salad Ahmed and or, I'm sorry, written by Salad Ahmed and drawn by Javier Rodriguez, which will be next week. So there you go. That's what he's doing next. I never read Exiles. That was Judd Winnick series i believe um maybe that was a thing marvel two in one number five we've got this is sort of the almost like the run-up to fantastic four i think there was an announcement because comics can't help ruin everything that fantastic four will be coming back so there's no surprises so i get i'm guessing at the end of this Maybe the Fantastic Four will come back, but this is Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm uh, traveling to different universes. I think I missed the last issue of this. I, did, I wasn't aware that I did, but something happened in the meantime. Uh, they go to some other world where there's another Reed Richards who's uh, been sort of mentally defeated and, and has no, no gumption left anymore because that universe's Doctor Doom uh, merged with uh, Galactus. And so basically he lost. 
Uh, and this is about this Reed trying to get his groove back. And Sue is here alive in this one, but she works for S.H.I.E.L.D. in there, and her and Reed have split up. And the, it's 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 good character stuff, and it's fun. It's no longer Jim Chung drawing it, which would be amazing. It's Valerio Sheety. Sheety. Valerio Sheety uh, drew it. I think he did a very good job. He's not Jim Chung, uh, but it's a good it's a good looking comic book, um, and it's it's you know it's they get a chance to write these characters who are the characters you know, but out of the context of all the the stuff that's holding them down. You find that Norrin Rad uh, is a farmer who's exiled himself somewhere on this world and is a, like a sad broken down farmer, and and then Johnny Storm and and Ben Grimm approach apparently from the middle of a wheat field, um, which is a weird place to approach from. A lot of people would use a road. But they they come from the middle of a wheat field, um, you know. I'm not a huge Fantastic Four fan, but absence does make the heart grow fonder. Um, I feel like for like 15 years, every time they relaunch Fantastic Four, I'm like, I'm gonna give this one a shot, and then I read it for a little while, and then I find I'm not interested. So I like it in small chunks, and this is a small chunk. Um, we're getting them in here. There's a lot going on, um, and it's been it's been a good series. Chip Chip Zdarsky. Uh, has shown a side of himself that I was not previous, previously aware of and how he's writing this. Um, the He was writing Doom weird before. This Doom's a little more spot on. This is good stuff. Actually, there's some really nice art in here. I take it back. Some good fantastic, there's some good Mr. Fantastic stuff. I think you should be reading this series. That's what I think. Let us move along. This is all Marvel, apparently. I'm moving along to run. I didn't put these in any order. This is completely random. Runaways, number eight. This one is written uh, by Rainbow Roll. Rainbow? I don't, I'm, I'm guessing that's not her real name. Uh, and it's drawn by Chris Anka, as have the previous seven issues and the one that comes after this. Um, this is still good. I really like it. I feel like this is... I'm trying to remember, but I feel like this is the closest to what The Runaways should be after the initial series. Uh, Doom shows up in this too although this Doom is completely wrong it's the wrong Doom he's got like a green suit like a double breasted giant jack like a zoot suit basically and spats and he's got his old hood and cape um, and he's not Iron Man at all in this so I don't know why he's like this and he speaks like Doom but they kind of say that he's a good guy in it now so it's not the same one that Bendis is doing but he's coming for Victor Mancha's head and that's his, his mission there uh, they get attacked by Doom, and there's this whole thing where, like, we're not good enough to take on Doom. And then there's a girl who was in Power Pack, and she's dating the other girl, the other pretty blonde, long-haired girl. They both look the same, unfortunately. Um, and it was fun. It was entertaining. I really like this series. It's been it's been good. And I think each issue, each issue's gotten better as we sort of get used to being in that world. Another, another non-comic writer who did, like, a good job uh, making, making it seem like they know how to do, read comics. Next up is Spider-Man number 239, which is a series I frequently forget to read because they call it Spider-Man, and I think it's one of the Spider-Man ones I'm not reading, but this is Bendis's uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man, but he's in our world, and he's recently met his uh, uh, uncle, his uncle, who is like an iron spider, and and uh, but he's a bad guy, and they had a big sort of blowout, and then in the old book, he got killed. But now he's back alive because everybody's back alive. And Miles thinks, oh, that's probably because the worlds came together. And 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 that's the most explanation we're going to get, which is fine. Um, I'm tired of them killing characters just to bring them back. Like, if you, if you can't think of a better thing to do than kill them, then, then, then don't. 
seems lazy, but I guess it's also just routine. Like that's a thing that they do, and so it's accepted. But I don't know. It 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 means there's no impact. So then you're doing this thing that doesn't matter at all. Anyway, didn't Miles Morales sort of like say he was going to quit being Spider-Man? Is that a thing that happened? I think in Spider-Men. But then this is maybe this is behind because this was being drawn by somebody else for a while. But now it's Oscar Basil Basildura, I think is the name. I don't know. It's uh pretty fun because it's it's uh Bendis writing his Spider-Man. He's going up against this new Sinister Six as they try to steal a helicarrier. It's not it's not anything uh amazing. It's it it almost feels like like other than the dialogue being exactly correct and you know fun like Bendis dialogue is. It almost feels like this is this is what somebody who was pretty good did to take over after Bendis gave it up. But Bendis is still wrote this one, so. I don't know. It's fine. It looks fine. It's fine. I guess that's a thing. Um, we are going to go now to Astro City. And you're thinking, oh, good, they're going to talk about Astro City again. Um, this is a second part of a three-part story of this guy who holds a sort of support group for uh, people who have had their lives uh, negatively impacted or lost somebody to superhero and supervillain tomfoolery. Uh, this is the original team. You've got Busick on art. Uh, I'm on, I keep doing that. Why do I keep doing Why do I mix up art and story? I don't know. I guess that's the thing I need Connor for, because otherwise I get these things mixed up, like King Arthur in 3 and 5 and the Holy Grail. I can make old references uh, that only old nerds understand. Maybe new nerds understand that. I don't really know. Kurt Busick, Brent Anderson... Uh, this guy has some mystery going on, and so some lady at the group says, I looked you up, and there is no record of you having a wife. You're this person or whatever. And it turns out that this guy is sort of the victim of some uh, timeline tomfoolery that had been going on with the the Chrono Wars? Chrono Crisis, it was called. And so maybe he was vaguely, like he in another life, in another plane that he was sort of related in, uh, the people... Uh, he had a different life, and he had this wife, and she's gone. But then in another one, he had a different version of it. And what's interesting is that you've got all these people who uh, are, are pouring their souls out to him about, about stuff that's happened to superhumans, and and they they lost somebody. And then he tells them, well, actually, my thing is a little more complicated because uh, it was it's all this time stuff and dimensions and everything. And they just totally don't believe him. And... They live in a world where people fly around and have superpowers all the time. It feels like they would accept that. And I guess in Astro City World, the bridge too far is the one when you're talking about other dimensions and worlds, which I think is uh, is interesting. But I, I guess it's realistic. Um, it was an Astro City issue. It was fun. It was a middle one where they kind of explained a lot of things. And then uh, we would you know move on to the next one, which I think is the last issue. I think the next... It's, there I go again. Yeah, this is 51, so of course 52. And let's pause here and note that Kurt Busiek wrote 52 issues of this in a row from Vertigo. I know I've said that, but it keeps getting impressive. It keeps getting more impressive to me because if you remember the old days, they were not frequent. Uh, they did not come out all the time, and 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 this is a, this is a gift and and joy. Next up, we have Batman number 44. Tom King, Mikel, Janine, Janin. I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know how to say it. So there it is. Um, <laughs> we used to, when we first started doing the podcast, like nobody outside of pro circles knew how to say anybody's name. So it, 
because we, there wasn't people talking about it. So we would just sort of read it. And that's how everybody assumed. That's why nobody can still figure out how to say Mark Miller's name. And I remember that we were calling Paul Dini, Paul Dini. And, and, and a friend of mine who was a pro was like, oh, it's so wrong. And I was like, how would we know? There was no way to know that. And also Dini and Dini are, are pretty pretty close. And that guy was kind of a jerk. But anyway, he's not that bad. But I don't know how to pronounce Mikkel, Michael, Mc, I don't know. There's a way to do it, but there's we don't know. Somebody must know. But either way, he drew this is the point. Um, I know that we talk about these Batman issues a lot because they're often very interesting and, and it's been very good. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that this issue was all that great. It's kind of a story where you're watching flashbacks to the history of their relationship, Catman and Batman and Catwoman. I'm having some transposition issues today. I could edit it out, but I don't. I'm gonna believe I. I believe I owe it to you to be honest about that. Batman and Catwoman. We're having flashbacks to interactions they've had in the past. All the while, we're watching. Uh, Catwoman, I think it's going backwards in time. Yes, it is. Breaking into a dress shop uh, with a bomb to try on wedding dresses and do the whole thing. I like that part that she's still doing. She's a thief, so she's still... But I was bothered by it because I was like, well, they're trying to run a store and she's blowing up their floor and she's marrying Bruce Wayne and it's not necessary. Um, but it does fit the character. But at the end of the day, I don't know that this was necessary to spend this much time doing. She comes, she gets a dress, she comes back home, she goes to bed. Uh, Batman is sacked out at 7.40 a.m., which I was like, well, is that right? Would he be back by then? Would he have just gone to bed or did he take a night off? Does he completely trust her and now she can get away with anything? These are some interesting questions. Um, so story-wise, I don't know that I got a lot out of it. Um, Technique-wise, it was kind of interesting, but I don't think I was blown away. Uh, Art-wise, uh, you know... Janine or Janin, whoever the hell he is, he can he can draw really well, and he's kind of the right guy for this. Um, you know, he draws a sexy lady Catwoman. That's just it's how it is. Um, and I, I like the I like the sort of shapes of his figures, even though his men tend to look a lot alike one another. I guess, um, especially if they're at a rock party where Alfred is drumming. Why would Alfred be drumming? First of all, if you've had your hand reattached, is that even safe? Because I had surgery on my wrist, like four months ago, and I can't do anything with it still. Okay, not anything, but there's still impact-related things. Is seems to be a problem. That's what people showed up for. Me talking about impact-related wrist injuries. There are some really beautiful drawings in this. There are absolutely beautiful drawings in this. Um, and nice acting, but, you know, it was a little... It was like, well, here's the a, here's a thing. I don't like to use the word filler, but I'm going to use the word filler. I don't know, that, I don't know what this taught me. Um... Moving along to Batman White Knight. Now, the thing about Batman and Knight is when you are writing a script for a comic book program like this, um, you always have to look and say whether they mean Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T, or just N-I-G-H-T, because with Batman, it can go either way, and I find that to be a problem. This isn't a thing that you're going to have to worry about unless you're in the copy editing realm, uh, the superhero copy editing realm, but it's a thing that happens a lot. I thought, for some reason in my head that uh, Sean Murphy's last, his series here was over, but apparently that's not the case. Uh, in this one, uh, they're going after New Joker, NU-Joker, which I missed the part where they started calling her that. She's the other, she's second Harley, I guess. And, uh, and, and Napier starts reverting back to the Joker off and on through the whole thing. And it's a nice visual, and it looks really cool. Um, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think I loved that. I really like the way this looks. Um, the the interesting thing is, like, basically the the reason for what they're doing is that they're going after new Joker, and she. They say the last thing that she'll expect is that Batman will work with Joker, and it's exactly the same thing that they said at the end of Metal, Dark Knight's Metal, which was N I G H T, I believe. It's exactly the same strategy that they employed there. Like, oh, the that new new that new Joker also would not expect a Batman to work with Joker. And I know that Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy are friends, so I feel like they would have talked about something like that. And it's kind of weird to be at the end, like, oh, we we had the same exact pivot point in both of our books, and that's weird. Uh, the point is, they drive Batmobiles around. There's a bunch of them. And Sean Murphy drives, draws great Batmobiles, uh, especially from the back. There's the one that he draws, like the main Batmobile in here, which, which when you see from the back, looks an old, looks like an old Corvette, sort of mixed with a Ferrari, and it's really cool looking. Um, and I guess the Jack Navy, I guess Batman was right all along, and all of our suspicions were correct that this Jack Napier would would become Joker again. I know, I know, you're all shocked that that is uh, the gun that had to go off, but it did. Um, I think this whole thing is a really interesting place to play around in. I think it tends to be only surface deep, and so you're not getting a lot of extra stuff out of it. If you want to be sort of wowed by what you're looking at and sort of shocking moments that don't really mean a lot, I think this is really good for that. Um, you know, you, you, you come to this for the art and I'm sure that that's not a thing that Sean Murphy wants to be told he wants to be oh this is a great story but there is a spectacle of it I think that is very good and very valuable and interesting um but it's not really saying anything new about Batman although that's probably one of the hardest things in the world that you could do right now finally not not finally because I'm not done talking about comics but I'm done with this batch of comics uh we have Snaggle no, I'm sorry it's not Snagglepuss it's Exit Stage Left colon the snagglepuss chronicles um by mark russell uh who you may, who you may remember as our uh our, our fan favorite writer and when he was doing the flintstones and then they announced this thing uh which he's drawing mike mike or mike feehan is drawing uh, i don't even know who that is i've never heard of that person and this is the strangest book in the world and i have no idea who it's for it's it has snagglepuss the uh old hanna-barbera cartoon pink lion uh, as a a closeted gay playwright in the 50s uh, or 60s, it doesn't matter. And 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 Huckleberry Hound is there, and they have a past, and the people are constantly threatening to out him, and and the, it's good. I'm sorry, I don't know if I made that clear. Like, I got to the end. This was nearly pick of the week, although it confounds me so that I don't think I could have made that leap. Um, and I think that there are about seven people, like, it's really, it's mixing some weird friggin' things. Why is this a thing? This is sort of a really heartbreaking thing where there's a gay bar in downtown New York and the cops are bribed, uh, to, to, you know, let it be. And one of the cops who's this horse guy, uh, you know, who takes his bribes, uh, turns out to be closeted and he's, he's, he starts in a, a love affair with Huckleberry Hound and then they say, nope, you got to raid the place. And so he goes in and he, he bashes Huckleberry on the face. Uh, and it's and he uses the F word, the, the bad F word, um, not fuck, the other one that I'm actually not going to say. And it's sort of striking. It is literally striking, but it 
it really has an impact about what things were like and how people had to hide who they were and 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 live this double life up until very 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 recently and in some cases still today and all of that is poignant and meaningful but why is it mixed with these anthropomorphic animals who don't wear pants it's so strange uh, like and i i don't actually want mark russell to end up being pigeonholed into this area where he only does these super serious social commentaries that are also stupid and ridiculous um that being said what a strange experiment and and uh it is it's really it's really something um i don't know what that thing is that it is but it really is something and and at first i was like i don't know and and now i get what it is and it does have an impact but man it's weird it's so weird like it's hard to wrap your head around maybe that's the value of it is that you start thinking of these concepts you've been shown a million times but sort of in this in this context it's just so strange that you get it from a slightly different view or you're able to think about it differently the, the important thing is that in this issue uh snagglepuss actually says uh that he prefers to exit stage left he does not say even in what must have been a very difficult move for the writer but he says i've never been one for goodbyes huck i've always preferred to merely exit stage left which is a the title of the book um, but be, you know, also his catchphrase, which would be even, um, but he didn't, he didn't, he said it, he said it, he said the catchphrase and that's really what we would all show it up for. None of this, none of this stuff about how, how, how gays were being targeted and, and, uh, marginalized. No, no, we came to see the cartoon lion say the catchphrase, uh, that none of us watched by the way. I mean, like you'd watched it when you were a kid, but like you didn't, very few people listening to this were actually around when this was current snagglepuss. I mean, that, that would make you quite old. So. Yeah, why is this? Why is this a thing? Let's talk about the shaving, shall we? Uh, I'm going to talk about Harry's real quick. I'm not going to go on for seven minutes like we have in the past, but I could. Oh, I, I could. I shaved today, as it were, with my Harry's, Harry's stuff. Um, it's a thing I like. Uh, I'm still not getting the razor bumps. Uh, I was buying it before. When they stop doing these ads with us eventually, I will continue to use it. I'm a, I'm a fan uh, and I also bought the company. That's Norelco. That's a whole other shaving thing, but that was also an old reference to go along with that Snagglepuss thing. No, uh, so they stand behind the quality of all of their blades, and they know that switching razors is not an easy decision because it's the whole system, really. I mean, every, every, they're not interchangeable, so you got to do a whole thing, and they get that. So there's a trial offer. You go over to harrys.com slash ifanboy. Uh, claim that. You're going to get uh, the uh, trial set that comes with everything you need. You get a weighted ergonomic handle. You get a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. You get a little sh uh, rich lathering shave gel. And, of course, the coveted travel blade cover. Um, so go check that out. It's a close, comfortable shave at a fair price. Uh, the, 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 the basic story is they didn't like the way that the shaving – Shaving monopoly was uh, was going. I don't know if it's a monopoly, but the, what was available in terms of of folks wanting to go get a blade. So they they started a new company. They went out and they bought a company and they bought a factory in Germany. Um, they knew that it would come down to great blades, so that's really important. Um, and they've uh, they're doing a good thing. They're selling directly over the internet, so you're gonna save a little money, about two bucks a blade compared to four bucks or more. If you don't love your shit, there's your shave that you've been given. Let Harry's know within 30 days they're gonna give you a full refund on whatever it is you got. So that is cool. And I, I, it's funny because I seem to know a lot of people who I guess use electric, electrics instead of that, and I just don't understand why you'd do that. Like you use, I use a beard trimmer for that, I use electric for that, but for like up against the skin stuff, I don't know. And I'm not even all that hairy, so if you like a really thick beard, I feel like you just want to get it right close to the thing. And it's so nice to do that. 
do it after the shower. That's my tip. They didn't tell me to say that, but that's when your skin softened up. My history teacher in high school told me that. I don't, I don't know, I don't know why I remembered that, but I've done it ever since he said that. So again, go over to Harrys.com/slash/ifanboy and get your trial set, uh, and let them know we sent you if you get the chance to do that. Thanks very much. Moving along, you know what we need to do. We have to go to Star Wars Corner. And this time, we can just revel in Star Wars Corner because Connor's not going to be here grousing like, oh, I don't like you Star Wars comic books. Even though I think, I think, I think you know and I know that he's a little bit curious about them. Basically, there is business going down on Mon Cal. And they've got this sort of actor character that they, that they found at the end of the last issue. And he's supposed to impersonate a moth. And he's actually kind of an interesting character that Karen Gillan has drummed up where he can look and sound exactly like anybody else. Um, so they, they kidnap them off and they send them up there so that they can, they can get away with some dealings. Um, it's funny cause there's not a lot of stories where you get, um, like a kidnapping that takes place in a bathroom on Mon Calamari. And it was an interesting story that sort of fit into the whole Star Wars mythos. And I liked that part. I liked the characterization of Princess Leia in this and the fact that she sort of talked about how she's, um, She's really well known, and she's she can't just be seen anymore. So she can't like take part in the undercover part. Um, Han Solo dialogue was pretty good in here. The C three PO, whereas uh, Jason Aaron excelled at Han Solo dialogue, Karen Gillan excels at C three PO dialogue. I'm gonna leave that right there. I don't want that to come off as an, as an insult, but it does. Um, apparently, Salvador La Roca, they really like him on here. The sales have been good, so it's not putting anybody out. Oh, and there's a big fish in this. And if I know anything about Star Wars, the last page big fish, uh, there's probably going to be a bigger one. Because that's the rule. There, There is, is always a bigger fish. Um, so there's a really big, scary fish here. And if they had been paying attention to what had come before them in the prequels, then they would know that there's going to be another big fish uh, that comes up. So there is that. Salvador La Roca does draw really good sort of spaceships and cannons and robots and stuff. It's just the faces are not right. Sorry, I'm looking at it right now and I have feelings about it and they're not good feelings really. Hey, guess what? I didn't finish some of the other two books because I wrote them in a different place. This is the kind of thing that doesn't happen when Connor's around. Connor is, is he's tight-fisted. He is, uh, he's on top of things. He makes sure the trains run on time. I, uh, I skirt by a lot. I know, it's shocking. You're not gonna. You're not gonna suspect that from the way that I do things. But here we are. So let's talk about I Hate Fairyland number eighteen. This is uh, basically uh, Gert was dead, and then they have to bring her back because the queen, who was the nice queen, turned into the evil queen, and she's gonna destroy Fairyland. And we know that Gert is the only one that can take care of her. So we spent this whole time with this, uh, like not FedEx, but whatever their FedEx equivalent Fairyland express delivery equivalent is the little kid who dresses as a dragon but can also breathe fire because i guess he is a dragon so and he goes to find larry the fly because they need to go and get gert um and it was fun and fun and entertaining and if you like scotty young's work it's exactly what you expect of it um we're ramping up to a big confrontation as they bring gert back from the dead and that'll probably be fun but she wasn't in this at all so they didn't have to rely on her as sort of the the the, the linchpin of the humor i guess in it um he's good just like the other ones uh, and then finally, we have Sex Criminals number 23. Uh, this is a thing that people are like, I, I read off and on. And I got back in and I missed a little bit of it. But I, 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 like, I want to like it a lot, but I don't always like it. And, I, and I'm not sure sometimes whether it's good or titillating. And so I don't know why I'm reading it. 
Um, it's a little sad right now, and it's sort of like everybody's a little depressed and in between um, storylines almost. Like all the characters are trying to figure out what to do, and we're waiting for them to realize what's up next. And then they always have to introduce some other person with some weird sex power, which is what we, we have here. And I don't know what he's doing, but he's using his sex power to have some orgasm with some machine and then manipulate the stock market. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I'm getting close back to the point where I think I would stop reading this, but then I always end up sort of reading it again and wondering what it is I'm missing. It's not a great, it's not a great pull quote, right? I always end up reading again, wondering what it is I'm missing. Um, But that's what I said. It's how I feel. You will have to deal with that. So every week uh, we do a patron pick, also a patron pick. Uh, and where the patrons, uh, the folks who support the website and the podcast, uh, vote on a book that they would like us, me, to read. And this week, I was quite surprised that this came out. Uh, we have Frank Miller writing and drawing a sequel to 300. Xerxes, The Fall of the House of Darius and the Rise of Alexander. This is the first part of the issue. It's colored by Alex Sinclair. Um, and it is... It is Frank Miller doing a, a you know Greek story. This is the if I know my history, if if I know my history, uh, thanks to Dan Carlin and his Hardcore History podcast. If I know it, uh, then what happened was Xerxes attacked Greece um, and had some initial successes, but was repelled, um, and they went away. And the Greeks were like, "We did it." Um, and then Xerxes, and then uh, Xerxes was gone, and then Darius, uh, the the new uh, king of the Persians, um, went back with a much bigger army, and then d- did take it over. And I think this is, I think this is still the first one where they're going to get repelled. Because it's funny, because even though they win, they're going to lose. Um, so this is more about the Athenians. Um, not the Spartans that were featured in the movies and the in the in the last book. Now, as I am completely uninformed about pretty much everything that's going on, I didn't know that this was a thing until very recently, um, and I think I was pleasantly surprised. You know, historically, like I, I always said that three hundred was my favorite uh, Frank Miller for a long time. For most of the time, you know, the the early days, early let's say the first. 10 years of doing this show, I, I would have said that this was my favorite book. And then he, you know, uh, said things and did things that were not really concurrent with, I, I think, would be my worldview, and everybody sort of turned against them. And then he did the Holy Terror, and everybody turned against him further, and then he turned in some work that wasn't great. And I think people soured on it, and they looked at some of the, I guess what would be considered, um, not homophobia is not the world, but sort of like there's a, a toxic form of masculinity in this book or in the original book that I think people didn't like. And it was exacerbated by the movies. Um, but I also think that it fits in with the types of characters that he was trying to write and that he's always written and that it's a view of what these people might have been like if you were looking at it through a contemporary lens. So I don't think it's all that harmful of a source material, but I think that it has sort of soured historically. That being said... Um, it's really good. Like 300 is really great. It's a beautiful looking book. It it spawned an entire wave of ridiculously ugly movies, but I wouldn't hold that against it necessarily. Um, I think Lynn Varley colored the original, and this is colored by Alex Sinclair. 
Uh, you know, and it, it feels like reading 300. It feels like reading 300 as written and drawn by Frank Miller, which that's not an unspecial thing. I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't know if people are able to appreciate um, Frank Miller, his contribution, if you haven't been around a really long time, if he's just somebody. I mean, but he was, I'm almost going to say as important as Jack Kirby, and that's not true, but in terms of that um, shift, a seismic shift in how comic books were supposed to be, there's, you know, nobody had a bigger impact at that time than Frank Miller. Um, I would say more, even more so than Alan Moore. And they both, they both dealt with a shift in 1986 in, in changing the tone of things. But Frank Miller put a visual style to go along with it. And the visual style, it was both modern and classic. Um, it borrowed from Japanese influence. It borrowed from American influence. And it's solely his own. Nobody draws like Frank Miller. Frank Miller is instantly recognizable. And the point is, in this new series, Frank Miller's drawn like a son of a bitch. He's, he's, this is good. It's just straight up good. I remember we saw those pictures of him a couple years ago, and he just looked like he was on death's door. And I'd I'd heard that much from other people, but this is good looking work. It's simpler than it used to do, but that's the thing that happens to a lot of artists as they get older. Uh, you know, they get more economical. Um, it's really good looking, and it's really interesting. And I I like this kind of history. I like trying to figure out where these characters are are coming from. Um, there's a couple of large shots that are not great. Um. There's sort of wide shots of different uh, enemies or, or whatever and that aren't, but most of it is really quite good looking. The whole thing is done in spreads. Um, so if you're reading digitally, you know, you'd be sideways, but that's just like the original book. It was done in spreads, basically. It goes across the page. I really enjoyed it. Um, I can't wait to read more, and, and you know, I had to buy this one, so uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad I did because I might not have otherwise if, if, if folks – because I, I think I fooled myself into thinking, ah, I don't know if I like Frank Miller anymore. But that's ridiculous. He's, you know, he's great. Um, and, and you know, say – you know, whatever whatever he might think politically or have said publicly or whatever, like I don't think that makes him a villain. Um, and it does not take away from the fact that he is a singular and impressive talent. The guy changed things uh, in a lasting way. Not always a good way, but what he did was good. Um I really dug this book. So that's uh, it's Xerxes, The Fall of the House of Darius <clears throat> and the Rise of Alexander Number 1 out from Dark Horse this week. Uh, if you haven't checked it out and you like that kind of stuff that he did before, you should. If you want to know why we did that, it's because of uh, patreon.com slash ifanboy. And uh, when you are at any levels uh, donating, then uh, you get to vote on that every Wednesday through Thursday, basically. Um, our next stretch goal, uh, we've made some little, little bit of progress uh, as a non-comics media podcast, uh, where we will monthly take a look at something that is not comics and we will talk about it. Um, so if you, if I don't know, as the patrons know that we tend to do this a lot on the patron hangouts, um, another one's coming up soon, details on that to come. Uh, but so if we can get to the next goal, go over there, check it out, patreon.com slash ifanboy and you can see, and then that's brought a lot of other things back, which have just created a lot of work for me basically. Um, it's also the t-shirt store. Um, you can go to ifanboy.com, ifanboy.threadless.com. You can see six of our designs. There's a new one coming out. We are going to announce that and show it for the first time on that patron hangout that is coming up. It's on March 15th with details to follow. Um, but it is a new shirt, which I think you folks are really going to dig a lot. I dig it a lot. Uh, but check out what's there. Um, and of course, if Patreon's not your thing or you don't want to buy a t-shirt or whatever, you can always go to ifanboy.com slash support and you can find a direct donation link uh, to PayPal if that's the thing that you want to do. Because it's, it's, it's important 
it's not not just us, but just as a concept of if you're listening to free content that you like, um, everybody can use and and will be helped by your support, which is minor. But if you really enjoy a thing and it's part of your life, like part of your entertainment life, I pay some stupid amount for cable that I don't watch. Uh, and so I should be, I, I would much rather divert those funds to people who create entertainment and content for me that that means something to me, that is important. And so I do that too. Um, let's move along. Other thing about patrons is if you donate at $5 a month or more, uh, you are eligible to get a patron power, right? We give you a superpower that we have thought up on the spot. Normally we split this up and today I have to do four of them. So that's... That's on me, I suppose. <laughs> so let's get through them quickly. I'm actually, I managed to fill up this time. I didn't think that would be a thing. Caroline Hammond has solder tip fingers. She can heat solder with the tips of her fingers and do very small electrical welding jobs. It's not enough to like, she couldn't weld a battleship, but she can do uh, finite electronics. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that she can turn it off and on. Her fingers are not always you know, at 800 degrees, because I think that would be, that would be difficult if you had an itch, for example, or, I mean, toilet paper is a big problem right away. Um, but yeah, she, Caroline, thank you, but you have solder tip fingers, which, you know, I recommend you look at sort of boutique electronics, the guitar pedal market's pretty big, um, radio control cars, you could, you could be helpful on that kind of thing, or, or planes, anything, with wiring, you, you know, want to study some electronic schematics, um, I'm, I'm a bad solder. That's what I know. Uh, Gerald Kavanaugh uh, can find amazing uses for any melon. So do you know how like MacGyver can MacGyver things together? Well, well, Gerald um, can do that, but only with melons and members of the melon family. Um, but, you know, melon bombs, uh, you build a, a deck for your home out of melon. Um, just incredibly handy with melons. Artem Vorabiev, which is a hell of a name, uh, has tree branch hair. Tree branch hair. The uh, Instead of hair, like a normal human, uh, there's uh, sticks, twigs, leaves, uh, tree branches that are coming out of the top of his head. Oh, or her. I think it's him. Uh, tree branch hair is what they got. And so you want to watch out for birds. Um open flame. You don't want Caroline, for example, to run her fingers through your tree branch hair. I think you can see where that's going. You're going to get some some scalp burn there. <laughs> I had to do four. This isn't my fault. Uh, Neil Hill, next up, can apply decals perfectly. Um, also applies to anything sort of with a sticky surface. So if you want to think about like a uh, uh, you putting a sticker on the back of your car? It's 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 set it perfectly aligned. It's right where you want to be. There's no air bubbles or anything like that. Uh, protection uh, film on your phones and 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 devices, things like that. Um, children uh, who are building the Lego sets or adults, let's be honest, um, who are building the Lego sets, you got to put that little sticker on that little piece. Man, Neil, right in the right spot. There's no tearing, pulling it off the, the sheet that it comes on. Just perfect sticker uh, application every single time. Uh, temp it goes for temporary tattoos. You can do it like that. Neil can put stickers on perfectly. 
if you would like a dumb superpower of your own, get over to patreon.com slash ifanboy. And again, at the $5 or more level, we are, we're plowing through them. We're, we're still back quite a ways uh, doing four a week. Uh, but at some point, we will catch up and we will get to yours. Everybody who gets one this week is thinking, oh, man, that was a while ago. I'm so glad it came. So let the anticipation be the goal for you there because that's fun. Also, the reason that you're doing Patreon isn't to get that. Although, if that's what your motivator is, then I'm not going to stop you. That's fine. Let's talk. Let's do audience questions. It looks like I got a little time left. I thought I wasn't going to make it, and now I think I'm not going to make it in time because that's how these always go. Brad, I'm going to read two emails that are sort of related, and then I'm going to make up my answer based on almost no fact, but some experience and intuition. How does that sound, audience? Brad from Canada says, I was wondering what thoughts, if any, do you have about recent cheap, crazy Marvel trade sales and comicsology, specifically the 99-cent sales on books on same day and date of release. Does this help the industry? Does it in the long run hurt brick and mortar shops or does it really have no impact at all? I've been thinking about this question since I brought, since I just bought this week's new Thanos uh, original graphic novel at a 95% discount, which is admittedly not very long. He's saying it's short, but at 99 cents, it's okay. Okay, that's one. Scott from West Virginia says, Marvel sales have been way down over the past year or so. Most attribute this to the decreased quality and the 90s-like sales gimmicks. Uh, I have been wondering if Marvel Unlimited subscriptions could be a significant part of this reason as well. I know a few people who stopped buying Marvel and now read them on the app. For me, there isn't a lot to keep me excited, so I don't mind being six months behind. Do you think that could be the reason? Uh, if you didn't have to, sh- if you didn't have the show to worry about, is it something that you would consider since you're digital anyway? Hopefully, if chosen, my email doesn't elicit another old man rant from Josh. Scott, first of all, thank you for recognizing my talent. Second of all, you wouldn't have said that if it wasn't what you wanted. So don't don't try to step away from your responsibility here, Scott of West Virginia. I can't do a West Virginia accent, so you don't have to sit through that, unfortunately. So I think I talked about this on Twitter a little bit the other day because we were talking about pre-ordering and the direct sales market. And Connor's actually more vociferous about this than I am. But I basically feel the same way that it's a system that exists um, that is not ultimately helpful. It only – like comic shops, the way that we order books two, three months in advance only allows people to – who already know what they're doing to pre-order comics. And those are the people supporting it. Um, It's certainly the indie market that's the case. Which is problematic because stores can't afford to keep stock that uh, that they don't know people are going to buy because it's non-returnable. So that's the thing. This is all going to come back to what they were talking about. Um, and historically, although the history is not that long, um, the major publishers have kept pricing on digital books the same as the pricing on um, uh, physical copies. Um, and and this this ninety nine cent sale thing is sort of the first major break from something like that. Um, it, but it was a protectionist measure. It absolutely was. They wanted to keep the retailers happy for a couple of reasons. Retailers have a a you know they're they're walking a thin line, staying in business. A lot of them. And if 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 they the publishers undercut retailers digitally, then people are going to have less reason to go there. And then if the stores die, then the publishers are going to die, and they can't have that. So that's why we have the artificially hiked. Uh, comicsology um, pricing basically you're paying four bucks for a digital version or four bucks for a physical version now you could say 
if you weren't thinking about the cost that goes into anything or whatever, that you are paying for the content, regardless of the method, the content is the same and that's who's getting paid. And I can get behind that to a certain extent because, you know, the the creators, uh, the artists, the writers, the letters, the colors, those are the talent and that really is the bulk of the overhead that comes from comics outside of printing. Um, and if you make digital cheaper and they don't sell enough physical issues and the shops go away and then the publishers go away, then nobody's going to be able to make comics. So it isn't just a matter of greedy comic book stores. Um, it's a whole extremely fragile ecosystem, I think. Why are sales down? I don't know. I have. I don't know. I think that all of these things have to do with it. I think the people's... I mean, why are sales down? Is it because Marvel's not very good? No, Marvel's, you know, it's a cycle. Sometimes Marvel's really good. Sometimes DC's really good. Sometimes they're both really shitty. They both put out books that are really good, and they both put out a bunch of books that are not really good, and there are people who have been around to buy them, and, and they will. But the world, she's a-changing. Um, this is the old man rant. Um, so does the 99 cent thing, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to come back around maybe. I don't know. No one's here to remind me if I don't. So you'll know at home. You're like, you didn't talk about that thing, but here we go. Um, 99 cent thing, that feels like an experiment to me. Um, they've got this stock sitting around and they think, well, what if we do this? Can we make money on it? Um, is it going to change the book sales? They're probably experimenting. They probably want to know. I don't think they know. I don't know how many of any of those things that they sold. So it's hard to say what the effect is, but it seems like an experiment. And sometimes maybe making books 99 cents, they know they can move a lot of units. And that is, if they're not projecting the revenue from the digital into their costs model for print, then it's gravy. Um, unless they end up cannibalizing, unless they end up cannibalizing their print sales, in which case they won't do that. I think they're trying to find out. I have held for a long time that at cost parity, the Digital customers and the print customers are not necessarily the same people. So I don't know. I think there'll be some overlap in cannibalization. And eventually people will go all, you know, digital will eventually be the main thing. Um, people will always buy print, but slowly that ratio will shift. Um, but it's slow. And it's going to be a generational change, I think, more than anything. Um, but, you know, they don't know. And they're they're trying all sorts of things. But now they are finally pushing back. Like maybe we can make a little bit of money. If we make some of these comics cheaper, but they're not going to do that with the issues, I don't think. I, I don't see that happening. Um, some publishers might, and they might in a, in a sort of small instance, but by and large, like I get why they're the same price. And I think it sucks, kind of. I think it kind of sucks, but the whole system sucks, and that's why we're, it's duct tape and bailing wire. Um, why are people not buying comics? That's a good question. I think that there's a glut of content and everybody is so constantly hit by the fire hose of stuff coming at them that it becomes difficult to stick with one thing or another without, you know, and still have any time to sleep or breathe or do whatever. And and comics are losing in the attention wars. Um, not not from a cultural standpoint. From a cultural standpoint, comics have never been held in a favorable light. But in terms of actual eyeballs, revenue, time, and attention. Um, less so. So it's like you can be a person who influences everything, but it doesn't mean that somebody's buying your bananas. Um, I think that there's a little of that going on. I mean, the, the problem is, is you know, comics is still me. I've been at this, you know, I've been, I've been at this for 20 years. Uh, I've been doing the website since 2000. A lot of you guys are still with me. 
people come along, but they see, still seem a lot like me. It's not a lot of 16-year-olds, like, every, you know, at least the traditional comics. You know, the people are buying comics, they're, they're, they're making, but it's not replacing that sort of adult collector thing. Um, I don't know. It'll probably shoot back up the other way, but, I mean, I really think, like, it's going to die... And in order to re- be reborn, it has to burn down. And these are all parts of that equation. These are all parts of that question. I don't know the answer. I don't know there is an answer. I think that a lot of people are going to get hurt when it happens. And it's happened slowly. And some people, like, it is harder than ever to make a career out of being a comic book artist or writer. You can you can get read. You can get known. You can get attention. But making a career, a long-term, lifelong career, a, a you know, Dan Jurgens or a Walt Simonson who who's worked in comics their whole life, you know, I, there's not a retirement plan. You're going to keep doing it. You've got to stay relevant over a long period of time, and I don't know that there's a support system for that. The people who are around were smart. They work hard, and they were lucky, uh, and they were probably delightful to work with. A, a lot of people left in the wake. Um, but any industry changes, and they have people in it have to weather changes. I just feel like there's a lot of risk in comics um, like that. Um you know, some people do very well, but but that's not the, the majority. Other people are just they're just working class artists almost, um, middle class if they're lucky. So does that count as an old man rant? Is that a thing? Um, I don't know. I, I talked about old man. I don't think I was ranting. There was not a nasal snort that I heard. <laughs> Carl from Berkeley writes in and says, "This is about the boys. I recently picked it back up in trades after dropping it in issues once the second arc ended way." back in 07 or 08 that's over a decade ago i want to say i'm hankering for ennis's writing after getting my girlfriend into preacher thumbs up and wanted to see if i could get past the initial shock value ugliness of the first few arcs to see if any of that actually pays off and i have to say i'm on the fourth trade now and i'm very very into it the book finally seems to have the soul and ennis and robertson are in a groove with the character's world and they're feeling fully formed uh which brings me to our question josh did you finish the boys if not how long did you last uh, any thoughts on the upcoming adaptation? I honestly could care less. Seems too little too late. Good question. Um, I didn't finish it. I probably dropped off about the same time that you did, and I felt the same way. A lot of that stuff has to do with how I'm feeling at a given time or how much I want to be spending on comics or doing whatever. And so I didn't read The Boys uh, for all that long. And I have heard that's, that after I left, it got a lot better. But then it seemed so daunting that I never went back and, and did it. So I have no doubt. Like, at some point, I went back and I read all of the authority Kev issues that Ennis wrote. And, like, I didn't like those when they first came out. But as I stuck with it, I got – and I read them all at once. That might be a key with Ennis for me. Like, you got to kind of do it all at once. Everything was in there that I love about Garth Ennis. Um and so I have no doubt that The Boys is that thing. He stuck with it for long enough. What was it, 60 issues or something like that? That There's no way that it, it fell off or would have been... Like, I, I'm, I'm completely sure that it's worth reading, um, even though at the time I, I didn't. I think which is was a mistake on my part, but I was young. Grr. I made mistakes then. Um, yeah, but it's just a thing that I haven't, I haven't done. I would like to read it, but I would like to read Preacher again. I would like to read a lot of things. I would like to read any of the 90 books that I've stacked up over on my shelf. Um, but i got to do this show. And that takes up a lot of time. But honestly, if I wasn't doing this show, I'd like to read it at some point. Upcoming adaptation, I don't know. I just saw that Carl Urban has been cast in it. I was like, all right, that works. I think Carl Urban's rad. I don't know why he's not a big star. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. But at the same time, I didn't watch more than two episodes of Preacher. It's my favorite comic book of all time. I watched two episodes of the series. I heard 
I heard that it got better. That isn't didn't make me want to jump back in for some reason. So I don't know if it's too little too late on that one, but um, nah. I mean, I'll, maybe if it's great uh, or I have some reason to check it out. Uh, I don't know anything about it. If you would like to have your email answered, you can write to us at contact.ifanboy.com. Um, thank you for everyone who does that all the time. Do I ever actually say thank you for those emails? I feel like I should because we get, we've gotten emails consistently for like a thousand years and they're really like a, like one of my favorite parts of the show to do. Have I ever said that? I really, thank you for everybody who writes in. They're not all good. I'm not saying you all did a good job. That would be, <laughs> some of you are bad at it. Some of you are good at it. Some of you write a lot, uh, but I appreciate it nonetheless. And by the way, bad at it, that's subjective. Your, your question might be fine, but it might make a shitty question for the podcast. But you can't know until you write, and I probably won't tell you that it was shitty. Unless it makes it onto the show, in which case it was shitty. But it was something good because it made it onto the show. And that's kind of what you're looking for. Just like the other guy who wanted that old man rant. I know how this works. <laughs> you can listen to the Booksplode podcast that Connor and I did on Green Lantern Earth One, the original graphic novel from Gabe Hardman and Karina Becco that came out recently. That's there. Be sure to show up for our next patron hangout, uh, which is Sunday, April 15th at 9 p.m. Eastern. I double-checked that date before I wrote it, but now I'm doubting it. Sunday, 9 p.m., April 15th, um, where you will then see our new shirt. That that We'll, we'll tease that. You'll, people there will be the first to see it. That's good, right? That's a thing. Get over to ifanboy.com. You can find all of our podcasts, uh, every special edition, every Talksplode. I got a Talksplode coming up this month. I think I got my guest. It's going to be good. You can find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking us on facebook.com slash ifanboy or following us on at ifanboy on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me individually at Jay Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram. And C.S. Kilpatrick is on Instagram. He's really not on Twitter or Facebook anymore. And God bless him for it. I think that was the right call. Um, if you like this show, you can leave us a review on iTunes, our show, any show, it's good to do that. Um, better yet, tell your friends all about us, introduce your mom to podcasts. That is actually written with a question mark on our thing there and help spread the iFanboy love. I'm just reading what it said there. I'm Josh. And hopefully next week I'm, I'm told that Connor will be back with me and you won't have to do this. How did we do? Which it, 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 I, I think, I think it could have been better. I think it could have been funnier. But I don't know. I can't tell what you're laughing at. I got nobody to bounce anything off of. I hope you liked it. I had fun doing it. Always a pleasure, everyone. Thanks. Thanks.